Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Well, sweet. I'm going to open up with a, with a verse today. Actually, two verses, if I can. Uh, it's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we can go there together. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV this morning, but whatever your version or your uh, preferred translation, feel free to use it. Uh, so in the NIV, Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says this. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then verse 2 follows it up. It says, this is what the ancients were commended for. This type of faith is what the ancients were commended for. Now, I'll be honest with you. I rarely have a, a verse of the year. I rarely have a uh, sort of a word of the year, but this was one of the first verses I read in 2023, and it has stuck with me. I haven't been able to shake it, and, and specifically the two words there, confidence and assurance. Now, the, the New King James says substance and evidence. Perhaps those are the words that you're more familiar with, but confidence and assurance. And then I love what verse 2 says because it says that this is what the ancients were commended for. This was what the believers and the prophets and the teachers and the leaders of old, this is what their, their faith did for them. But my question to you today is, can the same thing be said of the moderns, the modern Christians? Can, it be, can these two words, confidence and assurance, be used to describe my faith? Can they be used to describe your faith? And then we're not going to stop there because the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 lays out all of these incredible things that happened and that these people were able to do because of their faith. Over and over, by faith, so-and-so, by faith, so-and-so, by faith, so-and-so. And not a faith of timidity, not a faith of hedging bets, not a faith of safety nets, but a faith of confidence and assurance. And unfortunately, I think that we've gotten to a place in the modern American church and in society at large where we're either too busy too distracted, or too fearful to do any of those things. And it makes the miracles of the old times seem like relics of the past. But we sang this morning, didn't we, church, that this is a house of miracles. So if walls fell then, walls can fall now. If seas were parted then, seas can part now. Right? If only our faith is one of confidence and assurance. The same God calling out of our complacency today and in the verses and the, the, idea, uh, the ideas that we'll unpack together said to Joshua when he was instated as leader of the Israelite people, three times in four verses says, be strong and very courageous. Again, I say unto you, be strong and very courageous. That's the word for us today. Be strong and be courageous. Have a faith of confidence and assurance. And so today is Super Bowl Sunday. And Pastor John said we'd get into the, the particulars of how I came to be here on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, but I've put together a nice football-themed message for you today that I'm calling Super Bold. You like that? Super Bold. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, before we jump into it, I want to clear the air on a couple of things. First and foremost, I'm not really that into football. 
All right, I'm one of like three people in the West Georgia area that roots for the Nebraska Cornhuskers because that's where I was born and lived for most of my life. Any Huskers fans out there? Didn't think so. Uh, I've played a lot of sports in my life. Uh, I've done basketball, baseball. I was a wrestler for three or four years in high school. You know how long I played football in my entire life? Two weeks. It was spring training, senior year. I had a point to prove. Some people were talking smack, and I had to show up and show out. I played in that year's uh, black and gold game. It was awesome. I caught no passes, made no tackles, did absolutely nothing, walked off the field, and that was the conclusion of my football career. So I come to you today as sort of an expert, okay? (laughs) Now, that covers high school and college. When it comes to pro football, I like it even less. I have even less of an interest. Why am I preaching on Super Bowl Sunday? I don't know. Look, I only like the Super Bowl, and I know you've heard this before, but for me, I promise it's true. I only watch it for the commercials. It's true. I really do. My favorite Super Bowl commercial of all time is the one where the guy hits reply all on the email and spends the rest of the 30-second spot, like, shoving computers out of windows and smacking phones out of hands so that no one else reads the email. Does anyone remember that one? That is my favorite one. Why? Because that's me at Southwire as the person who can send the email to everyone and can even act on behalf of the CEO. That commercial is frighteningly relatable, and I love it. And I like have people look over my shoulder. Watch as I press the button so I don't hit reply all. I have, like, PTSD. I go back to that commercial, but I love it. And it's true. So given all of this that we now know, you can imagine my reaction when the Lord says to me, hey, I have a word for you. And not only do I have a word for you, but I have a word for you for Super Bowl Sunday. And I was like, God, did I hear you right? Are we sure this, this line's open? No static, right? He says, hey, I want you to speak. And so then I, I start, you know, formulating this idea and start seeing how it's going to come together. And Pastor John uh, texts me one Sunday. I'm on the plane to some far-flung destination. He says, hey, do you want to bring the word this weekend? And I said, hey, great of you to ask. I do have a word, uh, but unfortunately it has to wait until Super Bowl Sunday. And I don't know, my text delete after 30 days, so I don't know what I said after that, but I'm pretty sure I said, it's February 12th, I already checked. Right, because God said, hey, you're preaching Super Bowl Sunday, I need to know when that is. So I've had months to prepare, this has been simmering. And look, I want to give Pastor John a quick shout out, because he didn't even question it. Right, Knowing what he knows about me, and again, he said we've got almost 10 years of history, knowing that I'm the Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, loving, book nerd, musical theater junkie, all that stuff, who knows nothing about football, he was just like, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You can preach on Super Bowl Sunday. And, uh, and it aligns perfectly with what we're talking about today, radical obedience and being bold, right? So while I'm not a fan of the sport... I can imagine, and maybe you can too, regardless of how you feel about football, maybe you can imagine the commitment and the courage and the concentration it takes to walk out on that field. Just imagine it with me for a second. You're walking out onto that field. You're surrounded by thousands of screaming fans that paid thousands of dollars to get there, apparently. You've watched tapes of past games to prepare for future ones. You practice, and you practice, and you practice, even in the off-season, Your entire identity, no matter if you're a husband or a father, whatever your role in life is, it's wrapped up in your identity as a football player. That's who you are. That's who people know you as. They don't walk down the street and say, hey, you're so-and-so, the guy from thus and such. No, they say, you're the football player. You're the star. Can I get my picture with you? Can I get your autograph? That's how they recognize you. In church, it's not that very different with us. Really, because if you think about it, we're the ones who who are living out our faith, and there's people watching us. 
watching us, seeing how we're going to react and how we're going to respond. We come into church week after week. We prepare for the mission field in our normal lives by coming in for, to the house of the Lord for hope and for healing and rest and rejuvenation. Right? We go out. We do it. We watch the tapes. We listen to the podcasts. We get fired up and pumped up so that we can go and do that thing. But in reality, right, just like the football players, the second that we prayed the prayer, the second that we said, I want to follow Jesus, that's our identity. Regardless of who we are, regardless of what we do, and I know in America we often start by asking, what do you do? Right? You get to know someone, what's your name? The follow-up question is, what do you do? What's your job? But the reality is that for us, our entire identity is wrapped up in the wonder-working power of Jesus Christ. That's it, full stop. And so we are the football players in this analogy. We're the ones going out on the field. And I want to clear the air on one other topic because maybe you're hearing me now and saying, I don't want to hear a message about football. So what I'm going to say is this. I agree with you. Football players get paid a ton of money to do what they do. Okay? I'm going to acknowledge that. And there are many other professions and people that exude a courage and a confidence in their lives that we would be remiss if we didn't talk about today. Servicemen and women, first responders. And the third category I'm going to give you today because I lived through it in the pandemic is teachers especially preschool teachers. You are the real MVPs. Look, so many other professions fit the bill. So many other metaphors can be used, but because it's Super Bowl Sunday and because I'm doing what God told me to do, you're getting a football message about football players and how it relates to us, okay? All right, maybe on First Responder Sunday, then we can do a First Responder message. I don't even, is there a First Responder Sunday? Maybe there is. If not, there should be. All right, So this is the reality, and this is why we're talking about this. Because I believe, and we've heard it a lot, and this aligns so well with what we've heard Pastor John say and Pastor Jay from LifeGate say, I believe we're on the precipice of something. I believe both the little churches here in Bremen, and I believe the big capital C church across the world, we're on the precipice of something. And on one side is everything that we have done, everything that we are doing, the extent of our giving, the extent of our faith, the extent of our uh, willingness to obey the Lord. And I think on the other side of that, One bold step away is all that we could, would, should, and let me tell you this, a little bit of hope can do in Jesus. But we have to be the ones to say, hey, we're going to be unbalanced. We're the ones who are going to get uncomfortable or get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's what we're going to do. It it takes a choice every single day. It takes a choice for us to say we're going to have a faith of confidence and assurance that we are going to do the things that God has called us to do, even if they scare us. Because that's the reality, right? He didn't say, hey, go and make disciples, but only if you're good with it. It's go and make disciples of all nations regardless of the cost, regardless of whatever that thing is standing in our way. We've got to have the boldness, the courage, the confidence of faith that says whatever lies ahead of me, God, I'm doing it. It's going to take, regardless of the profession, regardless of the metaphor, today it's football, regardless... It is going to take confidence and assurance, and I've prayed this prayer for a while, to go where God wants us to go, do what God wants us to do, and be the people God wants us to be. Amen? Amen. We can't do it with timidity. We can't do it half-heartedly. And so I want to jump in, and we're going to unpack three steps, three things that we can do as we grow to become super bold. And the first one is prayer. The first one is prayer. Uh, At the start of every sporting event, including football games, you're going to see my limited knowledge on display. Uh, I know that they start with a moment of silence. They know that, I know that they start with a prayer. And I read an article the other day, a really cool article, and it said, uh, public prayer is having a moment in the NFL. 
And it was really neat to sort of unpack that topic and that issue. And so you may have seen at the start of the year, uh, DeMar Hamlin, he suffered cardiac arrest. He's a Buffalo Bills player. And that sparked a movement in the NFL where now players and teams are participating in public corporate prayer before games, after games, during games, doesn't matter. How awesome is that to see? That's great. That's awesome. The article was great. Seeing it, seeing it is awesome. But just like those athletes have started to prioritize prayer, we too must prioritize prayer. We must do the same. We have to start. If we're going to be super bold, and that's what we're unpacking today, it has to start with bold prayers. It's got to start with our prayer life. Prayers for revival. Prayers for transformation. Prayers for opportunities to put our faith into action. All right? And, and so with those prayers, as we start to pray those things, I just want to put the caveat here that says we've also got to believe it, right? You heard Pastor Jay from LifeGate talk a, a few weeks ago, right, about unbalanced prayer. If we're going to pray it, we've got to believe it. And as I was preparing for this lesson, I saw an analogy that I thought was funny. When you go to the restaurant and let's say you ordered the salad, you're not surprised when the waiter brings out the salad because that's what you asked for. But so often we go and we say, God, I want the salad. But if you don't have the salad, I'll take just the croutons. And if you don't have the croutons, well, maybe just the carrots. And hey, I'm good. If you don't want to give me anything, I'm fine. I'll just sit here and starve. Like we, no, we go to God boldly, the Bible says, and we let our requests be known to him. And then we've got to believe that the God of the universe is able and willing to do the thing that we've prayed for. James says in chapter 4 that we have not because we ask not. And when we do ask, we ask with the what? Wrong motives. Selfish motives. He says later, chapter 5, verse 16 in the book of James, that the prayer of a righteous person, person has great power in its working. And what does he do? He begins to unpack the example of Elijah, who Elijah prayed against rain. And then it didn't rain. And I love that the Bible says this. It says, who had a spirit like ours. Elijah was a man just like us. And yet he prayed with such fervency against rain that it stopped raining for three and a half years. And then after three and a half years, when he opened his mouth again and he prayed for rain, guess what? It rained. Do we believe that the same God of Elijah is our God today? I believe that Elijah had a certain level of confidence and assurance in his faith. And if we do too, we can see those same things happen. Those are the kinds of big, bold prayers that we should be praying. Now, look, I'm not knocking small prayers. I'm not knocking traveling mercies and guidance and healings for loved ones. I'm not knocking any of that. We pray those types of prayers all the time in the small group that we lead. And those are the part of, life that, or part of doing life with other believers. Right? You get the good. You get the bad. You're surrounding each other. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's part of doing life. So the small prayers are good too, but if all we're doing is praying small prayers, we're missing a big chunk of the big, bold prayers that we should be praying. And so if we're going to be super bold, it first needs to be reflected in our prayer life. If we're going to do what James said and A, ask, and B, do so with the right motives, we need to equip ourselves with the proper prayers. And so what I want to do is I want to unpack four prayers that Paul prayed over the different churches today. So we're going to go to four different places. You can mark these down. You can follow along. They'll be on the screen as well. But I want us to look at what a bold prayer looks like, okay? And so first and foremost, we're going to go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. We're swapping from the NIV to the NLT. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, it starts with this. So this is Paul's prayer for the church in Rome. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to stay in chapter 15. We're going to jump ahead to verse 13. 
And it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's prayer example number one. Let's now go to uh, Ephesians. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. All right, so now he's giving a prayer for the church in Ephesus. This is what he says. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power. For us who believe him, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Bold prayer number two. All right, the third one, let's go to Philippians. So this is for the church in, in Philippi, and this is what he says. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to really understand, or I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteousness, righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. All right, three out of four, we're almost done. Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you'll grow to learn, grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power so you'll have all the endurance and patience that you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He's enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Four bold prayers straight from the word of God. Now I'm going to unpack some of the major themes. A spirit of unity. Constant joy and peace, wisdom and miraculous revelation, love, knowledge, and depth of insight, strength and spiritual power, endurance and patience, discernment, fruit, and righteousness. Those are all the things that he prayed for the churches. Those are the ingredients of a bold prayer. So let me ask you a few questions then. Who prays for righteousness these days? Who prays for spiritual power? Who prays for unity in the church and the world at large? These are the big, bold prayers that reflect the heart and the will of God. And that's the key, church, alignment with the will of God. And so I don't want to make this purely a theological exercise. I don't want you to look and say, well, I can never pray like Paul. I want to give you some actionable, tangible things that you can apply to your prayer life. So if you're a note taker, I encourage you to write these down. Three rhyming words that you can think of as you're in your own time alone with the Lord. First is direction, protection, and resurrection. Direction, protection, 
and resurrection. I'm going to lay out a prayer for you that involves all three ingredients just so you can see how this thing works and that it can, can, and can occur, can, yep, hold on, I can speak, so that it can encourage you in your own prayer time. Direction, God, lead me where you want me to go. If it's changing jobs, cities, or friend groups, so be it. Allow my actions to align with your will and with your word. Direction. Protection. God, as I do these things in obedience to, do, to you, protect me. Not that I may prolong my life or ensure my kingdom's success, but so that I may magnify your name. Give me strength of body and of character. Imbue me with your spiritual power and let me stand firm in the face of adversity. Proclaiming your truth with fearlessness and courage. Protection. Let me be very clear about the protection piece. If you are never in danger, you do not need protection. Right? So for you look at the prayers for protection as you go and carry out the truth. It involves the second part of that, which is you going and carrying the truth. The third thing, resurrection. God, awaken what is dead in my life. Where there's hopelessness, give me hope. Where there's grieving, allow me to rejoice. Grant me a renewed passion, a renewed vision, so that I can confidently carry out your will. Stir up in me a desire for evangelism, a hunger and a thirst for your word and Bible study. Don't let me sit idly by on the sidelines of life. Direction, protection, resurrection. We have to have bold prayers. That's step one. The second step as we become super bold is position. Position. On a football team, everyone has a position. It's no mystery. Everyone has a role to play. A role to play. Running backs run. Receivers receive. Tackles tackle. Guards guard. I don't know what a quarterback does because it doesn't fit. No, I do know what they do. But it doesn't fit. For a team to be effective, everyone has to fill their role, right? Everyone on the field has to know what's expected of them if they're going to be successful in moving the ball down the field and putting points on the board. They've got to act in unison, and they've got to play to their strengths, and it's the same with us. Again, we're the football players in this analogy, and it takes position. It takes knowing what we're good at, knowing what's expected, and where we excel. And so I want to turn your attention back to the book of Romans, this time Romans chapter 12, a passage of scripture I'm sure many of you are familiar with, but I want to sort of analyze it in a different light this morning. And so let's look at this, starting in verse 3, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God's given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So we see here two things. We see first the admonishment to analyze ourselves and be true in how we think of ourselves. And the second thing is an encouragement toward connection with other people, and they go hand in hand. First part of understanding and, and viewing ourselves honestly is understanding our strengths and our shortcomings. Understanding where we're gifted, where we're talented, where we excel, where we may need to rely on others. The other piece, that connection with others, is really knowing how our puzzle piece fits in with the other puzzle pieces around us. How do I fit into this thing called church? It's all about, and you're going to love this, right? It's all about running with the ball when it's passed to us or knowing when to hand it off to someone else. Yeah. 
right? I know that if someone comes into the church, I don't have the gift of hospitality. I'm just going to be real with you. And someone comes to me and they want connection, I go and grab Heather. That's just how it works, okay? Uh, If someone says, hey, I'm interested in joining the praise team, I can't carry a note in a bucket, right? I can't do anything. I don't know anything. So I'm going to be like, hey, Corey, this person wants to sing a sample for you, and you can tell them if it's good. Because if I did, I'd be like, yeah, you're great. And then you all would suffer for it. You have to know where your strengths lie. You have to know where you excel and where others excel. Paul continues this idea, right? Because if really by doing this, we're going to build this idea of teamwork, a culture of teamwork and reliability. You know that people are going to show up when they, when they say they're going to show up. You know that you can rely on people. But Paul, Paul continues this in verses 6 through 8, and he starts to unpack all these ifs, right? If your gift is X, then do it. If your gift is Y, then do it. And I call those rhetorical ifs because we all have a gift, right? The problem is whether or not we're using it. If we're sitting there and not using it, we're not doing our part. We're not putting our puzzle piece in the puzzle, right? It's like sometimes the kids, when we're doing a puzzle, will come by and they'll grab one of the pieces, and they'll just sit on it for a while so that they can be the one to put the last piece in. No, see, we're, we're shortchanging the church's strength and efficiency if we're not putting our piece in the puzzle, or if we're not allowing ourselves to connect with the people around us and let them do the things that they're good at. And so he says, essentially, right, you've got to have a gift, you've got to use it. And it's the reality is, church is not a one-man show. It's not. It's, it's not solely the role or responsibility of the pastor to lead the church. It takes a team. It's not just for the ministry leader. It's not just for uh, the worship leader. It takes a team. It takes each of us doing what we're supposed to do. And unfortunately, both inside the church and outside of it, we've really bought into the idea of self. Self-confidence, self-reliance, self-image, self, 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 self. And that's good to a degree. But taken to the extreme, it is exhausting and dangerous. Why? Because if you think that everything relies on you, then you're not going to share the load with anybody and you're going to run yourself into the ground. We've got to share the load. We have to view ourselves, as Paul says, the body of Christ, each with a specific part and function. And so when we think about this idea of position, not only is it getting into our position, running with the ball when it's given to us, but it's also positioning ourselves for boldness. Positioning ourselves, putting us in a place where bold acts, courageous acts, where a faith of confidence and assurance is even possible. And so I've got three things here that I want you just to consider. First and foremost, it means checking who you're around. Right? I want to remind you, just as I reminded you a little bit ago, that you don't need protection if you're not in danger. Jesus said it himself, only the sick need the great physician, right? Check who you're around. Make sure that from time to time you're putting yourself in a position where you're around people who don't believe the same as you so that you can share the truth and give glory to God, right? If all you ever do is surround yourself with church folks, that's great for your own self-encouragement. It's good for ironing, sharpening iron. But what about when you need to, to evangelize? What about when you need to share about the good things God's doing in your life for the purpose of saving souls, right? So check who you're around, Make sure that you're putting yourself in a position where boldness is possible. The second thing is changing your perspective. We talked about this today. I think we got a lot of labels on our hearts, a lot of things that every time someone says something negative, we're putting a new label on it, and it's getting in the way of what God wants to say about us, right? So we have to change our perspective. If you hear anything in Hebrews or you read anything in Hebrews 11 and you say, hey, that's great for them, but I could never do that, you got to change your perspective. You're selling yourself short. If you, someone comes up to you and says, hey, this great thing happened in my life. Isn't that awesome? And you say, yeah, that's good for you. I wish I could have the same. You're selling yourself short. Worse yet, you're selling God short because you're saying, hey, he can only do it in their life. And the third thing is challenging the status quo. 
challenging the status quo, taking risks, and getting out of your own lane from time to time. Right? We've all got our lanes, and if we're not careful, those lanes become ruts, and they're harder and harder to get out of. But we've got to shake it up from time to time, and we've got to position ourselves for boldness. Uh, there's an author and speaker that I really like, John Acuff, um, and he says, he says essentially this, right? Fear is free. Faith takes work. Right? If all we're ever going to do is listen to the voice of fear, we're never going to do anything. We're never going to go anywhere. But if we're going to work out this faith that we say we have, then we're going to put ourselves in a position where we can take some small risks. Which bring me, uh, brings me to a small bonus point here. So all of these start with the letter P. This one does not. But the small bonus point is all about condition. Condition. 2 Timothy 4.2 says to preach the word. It says be prepared in season and out of season. It says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and instruction. How do we do that? How do we stay ready in season and out of season? How do we make sure that we're prepared? It's about condition. It's about the condition of our hearts. It's about making sure that we are putting into practice these things that we say we believe. Just like an athlete conditions themselves. You've heard of the term conditioning, right? It's calisthenics. It's aerobics. It's running and running and running and running and running and running. And we could go on ad nauseum. So that when it's time for the game... They have the stamina. They have the endurance. It's doing a little over time to build up greater and greater endurance. That's what it means to be conditioned, and it's the same for us. By doing a little and little and little and saying yes to the small, we then open ourselves up to be successful with the big. But if we're stuffing our ears closed and we're not doing the conditioning and we're not stepping out and taking the small risks, we're never going to get to where God's calling us to be. So we have to be conditioning ourselves, which leads perfectly into my third point today, which is participation. The old adage says, to get where you've never been, you've got to do what you've never done, right? And it's going to take participation. So I've got a crazy scenario for you, but let's say later today, we're all sitting around the TVs, because I don't think any of us are flying on a, a plane to Arizona tonight. We're all sitting around our TVs, the big game's about to start, everyone's suited up, everyone's ready, the energy's high, the music is playing, the fans are there, and uh, right before the kickoff, everyone just sits down. All the players reach into their padded pockets, and they take out their phones, and they start scrolling through TikTok, they start reading the news, and they just chill. Now, for some of you, that would make you very angry. Me, personally, I have a weird sense of humor. I would laugh hysterically. That would be hilarious. But I guarantee you the people who paid thousands would not be happy with that. And the fans who have supported them all season long would not be happy with that. Why? Because it's a waste. It's a waste of investment. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of potential. So, too, it is for us. All the buildup, all the prep, all the learning, all the work, and then nothing. It's the same with us. Again, we're the players in the analogy because that's what we do. We get the prep. We get the learning. We get the instruction. We get the encouragement. And we walk out these doors and we sit. We don't put it into practice. Again, because if I can circle back around to what I said at the beginning, unfortunately, we're too busy, too distracted, or too fearful to actually live out this faith with confidence and assurance. So how do we break that cycle? Well, I want to look at the word in a couple of places because if you don't believe me in saying that we've got to participate, that we've got to do something, then I hope you'll believe it from the word. And I'm going to take you straight to James, who doesn't pull any punches. We're going to go to James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Look at, look at this. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Full stop, period. No qualifier, no parenthetical. You must do what it says. 
Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and, there's the and, if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. There will come a harvest based on your faith. Let's look at James chapter 2. Let's keep on going on this James train here. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Pulls no punches. We have to do something. Maybe you bristle at James. Maybe you say, man, James, is he? no, I stay away from the book of James. He's too, he's too harsh. Let's go to John. Let's go to John's first epistle. So 1 John chapter 3. Here you go. Ready? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Simply put, again, no qualifiers. Not only if it gives you the warm fuzzies, not only if it suits up with where you are in the day, not only if it requires nothing of you and requires no sacrifice. No, do what it says. Show it by your actions. Another translation of uh, of 1 John 3.18 says it's, it's deed and truth. We have to show love by deed and truth. We have to be doers of God's word. And those are just a couple of passages, but verse after verse after verse point us to a place that says we've got to do the things that it says. We've got to carry it out. Every day that we take the easy way out, the church suffers. The world suffers. Because the reality is that there are people who are dying and going to hell each and every day because we're too scared to open our mouths. Right? I know James isn't pulling punches. Jordan's not pulling punches today either, right? Because we've got to realize it. We've got to be hit in the face sometimes with the truth of our inaction. Because God is calling us to do things. God is calling us to go places. The church is not a place we come and sit. The church is a thing that we are and carry with us. It is the embodiment of it. Now look, I'm honestly, there's, there's not a whole lot more we can say about participation. Other than what the word says, go and do it. And the reality is I don't know what that looks like in your life. Okay, I don't know what that big thing that God's calling you to do is, but I can give you some small ideas. You know, I want to give you actionable steps that you can take. So here's some small ideas. Now, I'm going to qualify this by saying these are small ideas, but some of you are going to be freaked out by the things I'm going to propose. Okay? There is no, like, quitting of jobs mentioned. Okay? And there's no, like, packing up and moving to another country mentioned. But these are still scary things, even if they're small. Ready? All right, so here's some things that we can do to participate. Ready? Uh, here's some conditioning steps. Why don't you ask the waiter or waitress or clerk at the store after church today how you can pray for them? It will literally take two seconds. If you want to pray with them right there on the spot, even better. It will take longer than two seconds, but awesome. Easy, right? That's an act of boldness. Uh, what about you give money to the person with the cardboard sign instead of turning the other way or turning up the radio or pretending you're busy fiddling with something? Right? Because in the Bible it says give to those who ask. There's no qualifier on that one either. It's not if you think they won't spend it on drugs. If you think they don't deserve it. If you think they've got an iPhone in their pocket. It doesn't say any of that. It says give. We're blessed so that we can bless others. Full stop. 
Maybe you tutor the struggling student in your neighborhood if you've got a skill, if you're an educator. It takes walking out. It takes knocking on a door. It takes sparking up a relationship with the parent. It takes saying, hey, I've got this, I've got this knowledge. I know that your student's struggling if you're in that position. I know that's a very niche one, but for some of you who are educators, what an opportunity. Start with action and then follow it with the word of God. What about paying the neighbor for, or paying the bill for the neighbor who you know is struggling across the street, picking up groceries, dropping off a gift card for Kroger? Does it take investment? Yeah, it takes time. It takes money out of your pocket, but it's an act of boldness. What about sending food or flowers to the person who you know whose loved one has just passed away? You know what I do? I'm guilty of this. I'll tell you right now. I'm guilty of saying, hey, I'm here if you need me. Just let me know if you need anything. It's words, it's not actions, and that does nothing for that person. But what if I picked up the phone and I called the florist and I sent flowers? What if I picked up the phone and I did a, or a, a, you know, a food delivery service and I had a meal sent over? I didn't wait for the grieving person to ask me when they needed help, but I just did it because that's the right thing to do. That is an act of boldness. And I'm not saying I don't want to paint in broad strokes, and I'm not going to sit here and point fingers and say, I know you're not doing these things. I'm sure you are, but if you're not, and you know that you're not, it's time to act. It's time to move. It's time to be bold. It's time to step out. There's a million small things that we can do to influence and impact this world and advance the kingdom, and there's big things too. I don't know what those things are for you, which is why if this was an instruction manual, it would say, see step one. And we go right back to prayer, and we pray the bold prayers, and we say, God, whatever it is you want me to do, wherever it is you want me to go, whoever it is you want me to be, help me be that person with confidence and assurance confidence and assurance pray that he'll open the door believe that he's going to open it and church when he does run right for it it's time to be super bold Corey, would you come and play something as we wrap up here i want to show you one last thing that i think will bring this whole thing home you guys want to learn some greek today i love doing some word studies i can't speak it i got to click on the little microphone over and over again so that i can even pronounce the words but we're going to learn some greek today so the the passage that i showed you in hebrews 11 it talked about confidence and assurance right evidence and there's a word there and so in hebrews 1 that word for confidence is hypostasis hypostasis If I spelled it, you'd be like, how are you getting hypostasis out of it? But I'm just saying what the little speaker symbol said, okay? Hypostasis. It says firm foundation, to be steadfast, confidence, hope, assurance, being bold or courageous. That word hypostasis is used five times in the New Testament, three of those being in the book of Hebrews. And I want to show you one other place where that word appears, and I think it's awesome. Hebrews 1, all the way back at the start of the book, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance, and through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he'd cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. And did you guys see any confidence in there? Did it say the word assurance? But where it says that Christ embodies the character of God is the word hypostasis. Christ is our confidence. Christ is the embodiment of the assurance of our faith. 
You may be sitting here today and you're saying, Jordan, this all sounds great. I want to do these things. I want to be bolder in my faith. How do I do it? Look no further than Jesus Christ. It's the same word. Jesus is our confidence. He's our firm foundation. He's the substance and evidence of our faith. How do you grow in boldness? We become more like Jesus. You do the things Jesus would do. Right? You know, in the early 2000s, late 90s, what would Jesus do? Bracelets, all the rage. Now they've got new ones that say, I'm going to mess this up, H-W-L-F. He would love first. Finally, we have an answer after 20 years. He would love. You know what Jesus did in three years of ministry? Every time he saw a need, he met that need. And that's my prayer. And it's a bold prayer, but I say, God, don't let me pass opportunities. If I see an opportunity, let me act. If I have the means, or if I know someone who has the means, let me connect them with that person. Let me act. For years, I struggled with car problems. I drove a uh, 99 Monte Carlo that broke down, I don't know, every day. And there were, man, there were so many times when I would just be on the side of the road, wishing and hoping and praying that someone would stop. And they didn't. And I'd have to finagle it, and I'd have to figure it out. And I'd work my way down the road sometimes, foot by foot, mile by mile. We're, we're getting there one way or the other. Police officers would drive by, and I'm like, hey, aren't you supposed to serve and protect? And I make it a point now where if I see someone on the side of the road with car trouble, I try to stop. Sometimes I pull a Yui and I say, hey, I don't want you to be like I was on the side of the road. So think about those things where you've been. Think about those places in your life where you've needed help. Or either someone showed up for you or they didn't. And when you see those opportunities, when you see other people in that same position, show up for them. Yes, it's risky. Yes, it's going to be tough. Yes, you're going to have sweaty palms and a beating heart, but it is so worth it. If we look back at the word, we see what Jesus said in John 16. It says, look, we're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart for I've overcome it. Right? That's great news on its own, but... The reality is that we have that same power in us today. There's nothing that we face that we can't do. We can trust him. We can mimic him. We can be bold like Christ was bold. We don't need a safety net. We don't need qualifiers in our prayers. We don't need to bow to fear. We don't need to shrink back from these imposing decisions. We can speak and move boldly, church. It's in us. If Christ is in us, boldness is in us. Would you stand with me today? I've been given a lot of thought to how I'd close this up. I take a lot of notes, but I like to leave this one up to God. And for me, it's this. It's, it's, it's this idea. It connects with what Pastor John said at the beginning of service, right? The idea of, hey, what lies have you believed? In what ways have you limited yourself or allowed others to limit you? Ask yourself those questions and be honest, because I guarantee you that when it comes to this concept of being bold and courageous, there have been some places where maybe you prayed for something and you were let down. Maybe things didn't shake out quite how you wanted it to. And maybe you've taken some of those disappointments in life and you've internalized them, right? You, maybe, you've, maybe you've put your heart out there to somebody and, and been hurt. Maybe you've been disappointed and you say, hey, I'm going to build a wall. I'm not going to let that happen again. 
But God is calling us to boldness. God is calling us to boldness. Does our faith show confidence and assurance, or does it show timidity and hedge bets? Does it say, God, I'm I'm willing to go, but only so far? So my encouragement to you today, my, my, my hope for you today is that you'll believe again. That you'll trust again. That you'll give humanity another chance. That you'll give God another chance. Because I don't know where you were when you got out of the water. Maybe you were waist deep. Maybe you were knee deep. Maybe you were swimming and splashing. You were fully committed. But if you're back on the shore looking out and saying, I wish I could be that faithful again. Today's the day. Today's the day. We can leave here and immediately, that's the beautiful thing about the word of God. You can leave here and immediately put it into practice. You don't have to wait till Tuesday at three o'clock, the appointed time. No, you can immediately put it into practice. Let's be bold, church. The world's counting on us. God's depending on us, and it's time that we do something. I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to sing. I'll turn the mic back over to Pastor John to close out the service. But if anything that I've said draws you to the altar, please come. And if not, at your seats, I pray, God, that he would help you see opportunities for boldness in your life. That he'd make them crystal clear. I think I've shared this before, right? I'm the kind of person where sometimes I say, God, I need the neon sign. I need the the blinking light with the arrow that says, this is the door, this is the door, right? I pray that he makes it so abundantly clear for you and that little by little you can take the step and the next step and the next step and that after we've conditioned ourselves to be faithful with the little, that we can go out and be bold in the big. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you for imbuing us with boldness. We thank you that we are capable of a faith of confidence and assurance. God, we thank you that you're calling us today to do more than we've been doing. And for those who have carried heavy burdens in, for those who have carried labels on their hearts, beliefs of themselves or of you that have limited their action. God, I pray today that you change our minds. I pray today that you transform our hearts. I pray, God, not just for conviction, but for opportunity. Lord, that as we say, I know what we should do, as we say, God, we know how we need to be faithful, Lord, that you'd open the doors and that you'd give us the boldness and the courage and the confidence to move through them. God, this morning we pray the same three things, right? We pray for direction. God, give us direction. Give us guidance. Show us what you would have us to do. Let us go where you would have us to go and do what you would have us to do and be the people you'd have us to be, God, not held back by fear, not held back by timidity. God, that we could look at those things, we could look at anxiety and depression and all the things that hold us back in the face and say no more. God, I pray for your protection that as we go and we do the bold things, that you calm our nerves, that you allow us to trust you, to know that no matter how it turns out, everything's working out in accordance with your word and with your will. God, again, not that we'd prolong our lives, not that we'd be able to wring from from this life anything else for our own pleasure or our own success, but God, so that we can lay it all out on the field for you. God, and for resurrection, 
God, I pray for this church, for this house, for the church as, uh, as, as an expansion out of Bremen, Georgia. God, that I pray that you would resurrect what's been dead in us for too long. God, I pray that you take the inaction and you allow it to fall by the wayside. God, that no longer we could be defined by the things that we don't do, but that we'd be defined by the things that we do. No longer defined as a church by the things we're against, the things that divide us, but by the things that unite us and the things that we're for, and the things, God, that we're passionately pursuing. God, and I pray, ultimately, that as we carry out this word, that we do what it is you've called us to do, that we'd see lives changed, that we'd see souls saved, that we'd see bonds broken, about you all about you help us be super bold today God we thank you and we praise you for this time draw our hearts in your name we pray amen we pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's covenant living broadcast to find out more information about our ministry just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org you can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.